Our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we desire this morning to have your gospel be clear. Father, as we consider your holiness, making your name holy, Father, we know that this is foundational to understanding the truth of the gospel, our own unholiness. So, Father, as we consider the gospel, as we consider the many churches in this area that are meeting uh, right now. Father, we ask that your word would be preached with power and that the gospel would be clear and that your name would be hallowed, that it would be lifted up and exalted among your people this morning. Father, we pray specifically for the chapel church and Pastor Stephen Brucker. Father, we ask that... uh, that as the word is preached from that pulpit this morning, that your people would have hearts of good soil and that your word would be planted, spring to life, and bear much fruit. Father, do a work among the people of Chapel Church. And Father, we also lift up our missionary, the Kinneys. Father, we we know that they are unable right now to go to the field as a The Philippines are closed. Father, we ask that you would give them patience. Father, make it clear to them what kind of ministries they can be involved with even right now. I thank you for the opportunities that you've already given them. And Father, I pray that you would uh, strengthen them during this time with your grace. And Father, as uh, as your word is preached this morning, Father, I I ask that you would still my uh, turbulent heart. Father, I pray that you would keep me from error. Father, I pray that you would uh, do a work uh, in our hearts. Father, teach us this morning how to pray. And Father, teach us what it means to hallow your name. Father, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated.
hallowed be thy name, to use the King James translation that I'm sure most of us are familiar with. As I meditated on those four words this past week, one of my heroes of the faith kept coming to mind, and I've quoted him many times from the pulpit to you, and the reason for that is that outside of the scriptures, this man is probably the most passionate follower of Jesus that I've ever read. His name is David Brainerd, and he was born in 1718, and he died in 1747 at only 29 years of age. Brainerd traveled on horseback through the American wilderness, braving sleet and snow, suffering chronic depression, and coughing up blood from the tuberculosis he contracted while he was in college. And God used this frail, introspective young missionary to bring the gospel to the Seneca and Delaware Indians in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And thanks to Jonathan Edwards, his contemporary, we have portions of his diary preserved for us in print. And they are precious pages, and they give us a glimpse into the heart of a man who loved his God and who desired the name of his God to be hallowed or to be esteemed as holy in all of his affections and in all of his life and even among his Indians, as he called them. Listen to his journal entry dated February 7th, 1744. He was 26 years old and death was only three years away. He begins by quoting Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides this blessed portion. Oh, I feel tis heaven to please him and to be just as he would have me to be. Oh, that my soul were holy as he is holy. Oh, that it were, were pure as Christ is pure and perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. I feel these are the sweetest commands in God's book, comprising all the others. Oh, my soul, woe is me that I am a sinner because I grieve and offend this blessed God who is infinite in goodness and grace. But though I sin continually, yet he continually repeats his kindness to me. Oh, methinks I could bear any suffering, but how can I bear to grieve and dishonor this blessed God? How shall I yield 10,000 times more honor to him? That's the hallowing of God's name. What shall I do to glorify and worship this best of beings? Oh, that I could consecrate myself. There's another word for hallowing or sanctifying God's name. Oh, that I could consecrate myself, soul and body, to his service forever. Oh, that I could give up myself to him as never more to attempt 
to be my own or to, give, or to have any will or affections that are not perfectly conformed to him. But alas, I find that I cannot be thus entirely devoted to God. I cannot live and not sin. And then he turns to the angels. O ye angels, do ye glorify him incessantly? And if possible, prostrate yourself lower before this blessed king of heaven? Oh, I long to bear a part with you. And if it were possible to help you, Oh, but when we have done all that we can to all eternity, we shall not be able to offer the 10,000th part of the homage that the glorious God deserves. That is a peek into the heart of a man who yearned for the name of his Father in heaven to be hallowed in all of his life and throughout eternity. Though as he said, this Father in heaven deserves 10,000 times more honor than what he and the angels would ever be capable of offering. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm using old words like hallow and homage, and we need to define those things first. So let's do some groundwork and review where we are in our study of the Lord's Prayer. And I know you're thinking, you're only four words into it, Tate. We're going to cover four more words this morning. Last week, we learned what prayer was, and we took our definition from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which, as we saw, was little more than a summary of what the Scriptures teach us about prayer. Prayer is an offering up of our desires from a sense of helplessness unto God for things that are agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Then from the first half of verse 9, we learned that we are to address our prayers to our Father in heaven. We do this to lift our minds and our hearts to the character of the God before whom we bow. He is an infinite, never-changing, merciful, gracious, loving, and faithful Father. In the words of John Calvin, he's not only a father, but by far the best and kindest of all fathers. Although we are ungrateful, rebellious, and froward children. And to strengthen our assurance that He is this sort of Father to us, if we are Christians, He willed that we call Him not only Father, but explicitly our Father. So the address in this model prayer is to our Father in heaven, and it's followed by six appeals or petitions to the Father. The first three appeal to God to act on behalf of his own interest, that is, his glory. And the last three appeal to him to act on our behalf, on behalf of our needs, our daily bread, our forgiveness, and our need for deliverance. This morning, then, let's walk through the final four words of verse 9. 
This is the first appeal that we are to make to our Father. Hallowed be thy name. The first thing we need to understand is that these words are not merely part of the address. We're not praying, our Father in heaven, your name is holy. We're not making a statement about the Father. We are appealing to him. We are petitioning to him to act, to do something or to grant something. And if we're to understand what we're asking of God, we need to answer two questions, both of which boil down to definitions. First, what is meant by the name, the name of the Father? And second, what does it mean to hallow? What does that old word hallowed mean? It's only then that we can answer the main question about the text. What does it mean to pray that, our, that the name of our Father is hallowed? Question one, what is meant by name? Well, among ancient Hebrews, the relationship between name and person or name and individual was more descriptive and more intentional than it tends to be in our time. Pharaoh's daughter found a baby in the Nile River, and she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And Moses sounds like the Hebrew word, which means to draw out. A more extreme example is the prophet Hosea. His wife, Gomer, gave birth to a daughter, and God said, call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. And after no mercy, she gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. In the 17th century, if you had heard my family name, you would have known that the family was from a hilly region in France that went by the same name. Names have meaning, and they tell us something, either about the person or about the circumstances of their naming. So what does it mean in this prayer, the name? First, the name of God means nothing less than God himself, his very essence. May the Lord answer you. Take a look at Psalm Chapter 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So who, to whom we, do we look in the day of trouble? We look to the Lord. And to whom do we look to protect us? We look to the God of Jacob, who is one and the same with the Lord. So the name of God is used interchangeably for God himself. Consider Isaiah 29, 23. This is God speaking. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands, in his midst, they will sanctify. It's another word for hallow. They will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob. And they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. The, God's name the Holy One of Jacob and the God of Israel are one. 
We see the same in Romans chapter 10, where we're told that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who do we call upon in order to be saved? The Lord. You see, the name of the Lord is not a formula or an incantation to summons him. It stands for God himself, his very essence. The scriptures are replete with examples of this. We are told to trust God's name. We are told to fear God's name. And we are told to love God's name. So by the name of the Father, we mean first God himself. Secondly, the name of God means anything by which God has made himself known. Now, let me show you three overlapping ways by which God makes himself known or reveals himself. First, in his attributes. God makes himself or makes his name known by putting on display something of his nature or his perfections. This includes all that we discovered last week in Exodus 34 of God as Father. He is merciful, and he is gracious, and he is slow to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love. Well, in that same passage, God himself makes this connection between his name and his attributes, and he also makes the connection between that and his glory. Listen to God's response to that bold question, that bold request of Moses, please show me your glory. Starting in verse 9 of Exodus 33, God said, and I will make all my goodness pass before you. That is, I will put a display of my divine attributes before you. And then note the connection. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And now take note of this. And while my glory passes by, notice that he uses glory and his goodness, this display of his attributes and this display of his glory interchangeably. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Exodus 33. So how does God make himself known to Moses? Well, he puts on a display of his goodness. Or you could say he proclaims his name. Or you could say he shows him his glory by passing by. So, by the name of the Father, we mean all that God has made known of himself by his attributes. And remember, these overlap. Number two, by his creation. God makes himself or his name known by the works of his hands. From microbes to the outer reaches of the Milky Way and beyond, the majesty of God's name is displayed and known by the design, the intricacy, and the vastness of his creation. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And to make the connection with glory, the heavens declare the glory of God. Even God's invisible attributes, writes Paul, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, in the handiwork of our God. So by the name of the Father, we not only mean his attributes, but also he makes it known through creation. And number three, he makes himself known, or you could say he makes his name known by or through his word. Well, the great 20th century preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, gives us a marvelous sampling of the names or titles revealed by God in his word to us. And you'll have to forgive my pronunciation of the Hebrew. God had revealed himself to the children of Israel under a variety of names, and he used a term concerning himself, El, or Elohim, which means his strength and his power. When he used that particular name, he was giving the people a sense of his might, his dominion, and his power. Later, he revealed himself in that great and wonderful name, Jehovah, which really means the self-existent one. I am that I am, eternally self-existent. But there were other names in which God described himself. The Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord that healeth, Jehovah Rapha. The Lord our banner, Jehovah Nissi. The Lord our peace, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our shepherd, Jehovah Ra'ah. The Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidduku, and the Lord is present, Jehovah Shammah. As you read the Old Testament, you'll find these various terms, and in giving these names to himself, God was revealing himself and something of his nature and his being, his character and his attributes to mankind. In a sense, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, thy name stands for all of that, and much more could be said. So our first question was this, what is meant by the name, the name of the Father? And the sum of it is this, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we understand that the name of the Father is who he is himself. It is his essence, and it is all that he has made known to us of himself through his attributes by creation and through his word. Question number two. What does that old word hallowed mean? Well, let's get the obvious out of the way. It is a very old word. It's archaic and no one today uh, really uses it except in the Lord's Prayer and in a few scary movies. In fact, as I was studying this passage, I found comments by uh, two of my old dead theologian friends, and they said the exact same thing. John Gill died in 1771, and Matthew Henry died in 1714, and both of them admitted 300 years ago that hallowed was an old word. 
and that nobody used it except that it had been retained for the Lord's Prayer because everyone was familiar with it. Well, 300 years later, it's used even less today, yet it is still the preferred translation for most English versions of the Bible. And again, that's because it's familiar and because it is memorable. When I hear the word hallowed, I think, like I know some of you, I think of Halloween. That's not entirely helpful, uh, but it does give us some insight into the origins of this word. Halloween is All Hallows' Eve or All Hallows' Evening. The church, not, not our church, but the Roman Catholic Church, celebrates All Saints' Day on November 1st. So Halloween, then, is the evening before All Hallows. And again, I'm not helping you. <laughs> Hallow is the old English word that simply means saint. So Halloween is the eve of All Saints' Day. So here's the connection. Saints are the sanctified ones, or to use the English root, they are the holy ones. So in its most basic form, to hallow means to sanctify or to make holy. And that word holy or sanctify or sacred comes from a Hebrew root that means to cut, to cut off or to separate, like God setting apart or separating Aaron and his sons from among the people, cutting out, separating from one thing to another, to tend the tent of the meeting and the sacrifices. So to be hallowed or to be sanctified involves a separating from one thing and a being dedicated to or being devoted to another thing. The basic idea of God's holiness then begins to take shape. He is set apart. He is transcendent, to use the big theological word. He is separated from all that is common and profane. This is where we get the idea of God's perfect moral purity which is what comes to mind for many of us when we hear the word holy. We think of purity. He, referring to the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Hebrews 7. God is separated from all that is common and profane and sinful. But if that's what he's separated from, what is God devoted to? Well, the 17th century Dutch theologian Petrus von Maastricht answered the question like this. God is devoted to himself, doing all things on account of himself, seeking in all things and above all things himself and his own glory and his own good pleasure. Well, I won't read the entire chapter, but we know that von Maastricht got this right because that is exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. God does all things, and Paul lists many glorious ones 
according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. Over and over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul proclaims the truth that God is supremely devoted to his own glory. He is separated from the profane and he is dedicated to his own glory. Well, that gives us some understanding of the word hallow. What does it mean to pray that God's name would be hallowed? God himself and all that he makes known about himself to be hallowed or sanctified. He's already holy. He's already hallowed. He is infinitely so. So how can we add to it? Well, the pithy Puritan John Trapp said, it's like the sun that shines through all the world though all men were blind or did willfully shut their eyes. We do not add to or take away from the holiness of God. So what does it mean? We can but reverence it and we can reflect it. For the name of God to be hallowed or to be sanctified is for him to be reverenced, regarded, esteemed, valued, honored, treasured, prized as holy. Or to use the words of David Brainerd, it is for God to be given the homage he is worthy of. It is to honor him in our hearts as holy and to reflect his holiness in our lives. In short, if you wanted to put it in a word, for God's name to be hallowed is for him to be glorified, which is the chief end for which God created the world, and it's the chief end for which you and I exist. To glorify God is to hallow his name. That's what we pray. When we appeal to our Father that his name be hallowed, we come to him in our helplessness, and we plead with him to hallow his name in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But if that's what it means, how does it look? We want to pray this prayer well. So let's drill down a little further and take a look at Seven brief reflections on how it looks for God to be hallowed in our lives. And there is so many other areas where we could go. This is a missionary prayer. This is a call to holiness. There are so many areas that we could jump into. But we're going to limit this to God's name being hallowed in our lives. And to give credit where credit is due, I owe, a, I owe a debt to the Puritan Thomas Watson for each of these seven points. And if there's anything awkward or unclear in the wording, that is certainly my doing. Number one, our God's name is hallowed. It is revered as holy when we make him supreme in our thoughts and in our affections. He is supreme when we have the highest esteem for him, 
when we value him more than a new house, more than the balance in our bank account, even more than our wife or our daughter or our son. He is supreme when we conceive of him in our minds and we embrace him with our hearts as the most excellent and infinite good. He is supreme when we apprehend, and this is the words of of Watson, when we apprehend in him a constellation of all beauties and delights. And he is supreme when we adore him in his glorious attributes, which, as we learned, are but the beams by which his divine nature shines forth. When God is supreme in our thoughts and in our affections, it is then that we can sing with the psalmist like David Brainerd did, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, Psalm 73. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are begging God to elevate himself to the highest place in our thoughts and in our hearts. That is the kind of prayer in which our Father delights because that is perfectly aligned with his will. Number two, God's name is hallowed. It is esteemed as sacred when we trust in him, when we embrace him in faith. For our heart is glad in him, said the psalmist, because we trust in his holy name. We can bring no more revenues of honor to God or to make his crown shine brighter than by trusting in him. We see that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to his God, Romans 4. You see, in contrast to trust, unbelief is a stain upon God's honor. Whoever does not believe God, whoever does not trust God, makes him a liar, 1 John 5. But faith glorifies and hallows God's name. Thomas Watson again, the believer trusts his best jewels in the hands of his God. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are imploring God to grant us this gift of faith. And though we be of little faith, Let us trust him with what little we have and beg him for ever greater measures of faith so that we can honor him by trusting in him. That is the kind of prayer in which our father delights because it is perfectly aligned with our father's will. Number three, God's name is hallowed. It is venerated as holy when we speak his name with the highest reverence. You see, God's name is sacred. It must not be spoken of, but with veneration. His name is to be honored. His title is God Most High, Genesis 14. And his name is glorious. 
and his name is exalted above all blessings and praise, Nehemiah 9, to speak vainly or slightly of our God is to profane his name. It is a taking of his name in vain. Let his name be hallowed by giving God his venerable titles and do, as it were, hang jewels on his crown. In speaking God's name with reverence, don't get hung up on debating the vocabulary. This goes far beyond the foul words on the factory floor and far beyond the foul words in the movies upon which we entertain ourselves, though it's not less than that. This is about taking God's name seriously. This is about being grieved when we hear his name profaned. When we pray, hallowed be your name, Father, we are asking him to keep our hearts in check. For from the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. We're asking God to keep our lips from speaking his name in vain. And we're asking him to grieve our hearts when his name is treated with disrespect. That is the kind of prayer in which our Father delights because it is perfectly aligned with his will. Number four, our God's name is hallowed. It is honored as sacred when we ascribe or credit the honor of all that we do to him. Ascribe to the Lord, the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts, Psalm 96. Remember King Herod in the book of Acts? There was that appointed day and he put on his royal robes and he took his seat upon the throne. And he delivered an, ora an oration to the people and they were shouting the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down. Why? Because he did not give God the glory. We ought to deflect honor from ourselves and direct it to God. Paul modeled this for us in his first letter to the Corinthians. By the grace of God, he wrote, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And that smells like pride at first glance until we finish his sentence. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul takes the crown of his hard work and he lays it at the feet of the God of grace. When we pray, hallowed be your name, Father, we are pleading with God to keep our hearts from accepting honor for ourselves and failing to ascribe it to the name of our God. Our prayer should be not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, Psalm 115. That is the kind of prayer in which our Father delights. Why? Because it is perfectly aligned 
with his will. Number five. Our God's name is hallowed. It is revered as sacred when we obey him. Oh, how we fear that little four-letter word, obey. But how does a son honor his father more but by obedience to him? I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart, Psalm 40. We know that to obey is better than sacrifice, 1 Samuel 15. Well, I'm not going to lay out a, a list of regulations and laws for you to obey. You can read. But let me give you but one example from one verse and ask that you delight yourself in this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Everyone in this room knows it. Be kind to one another. Yes, even on Facebook. Tender-hearted. Yes, even with your Democrat neighbor or your Republican brother-in-law. Forgiving one another. Yes, even your husband. As God in Christ forgave you. That is gospel-grounded, gospel-empowered obedience that honors our God, that hallows his name. It is blood-bought kindness. It is blood-bought tenderheartedness and forgiveness, and it hallows the name of our God. It glorifies him when we obey him. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, Father, we are appealing to him to grant us this kind of love for his law, to have a heart that sings with the psalmist, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This, brothers and sisters, is the kind of prayer in which our Father delights because obedience is perfectly aligned with his will. Number six, our God's name is hallowed. It is honored and sanctified when we lift up his name in our praises, which we will do shortly. God is said to sanctify, and man is said to sanctify God sanctifies us by giving us grace. And we sanctify him by giving him praise. What are our tongues given to us for but as organs of praise to our Father? My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Psalm 71. I cried to him with my mouth. And high praise was on my tongue, Psalm 66. And then remember that scene around the throne in heaven. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, Revelation 5. Brothers and sisters, let us begin that work of heaven 
here. Praising our God is the hallowing of his name. It spreads his renown. It displays the trophies of his excellency. And it exalts him in the eyes of others. This, said Thomas Watson, is one of the highest and purest acts of religion. In prayer, we act like men. In praise, we act like the angels. This is the music of heaven, and it is a work fit for saints. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. Psalm 149. You see, only saints can hallow God's name by praising him. Not everyone has the skill to play a violin or a piano. So everyone cannot rightly sound forth the harmonious praises of our God. Only saints can do it. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. And who but a saint could hallow God's name with praise in the midst of affliction like Job who hallowed God's name with these stunning words. Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Job 1. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are petitioning God to give us a heart of praise. And we know that that's the kind of prayer in which our Father delights because it is perfectly aligned with our Father's will. Lastly, God's name is hallowed. It is revered as sacred when we prefer the honor of God's name above everything else. Two examples. Take Moses. We know of Moses from the author of Hebrews that he considered the reproach of Christ... That's the least of Christ's honors. Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And take the apostles. After they had been arrested and beaten for preaching, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They suffered dishonor for the name and it made them rejoice. Acts chapter 5. This is hallowing God's name. When we are content to have our name eclipsed or even to be snuffed out, that the name of God may shine more brightly. And let me add, God's name is hallowed when we prefer his honor above all things, especially above our own life. As it is written, Paul wrote to the Romans, for your sake... For your sake, it's a reference to God. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And listen to how the psalmist hallows God's name. Because your steadfast love is better to me than life, my lips will praise you. Psalm 63. When God's glory weighs heaviest in the balance, and we're willing to suffer the loss of everything rather than that God's name should suffer, 
we do in a high degree hallow the name of our Father in heaven. And the words of Jesus are ringing in my ears. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking the Father to give us that desire in our hearts to honor him above everything, even our own lives. And I know you can say this with me now. That's the kind of prayer in which our Father delights. Why? Because it's perfectly aligned with our Father's will. Let's try to pray that prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, as we lift our hearts to you, we recognize that you have revealed yourself as Father, gracious, merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that we can call you our Father is a mind-staggering reality. And we just have to trust you with that because we recognize that we are but sinners. So, Father, I, I ask that your name would be hallowed. Father, hallow your name by granting each one of us ever greater measures of faith so that we can honor you by trusting in you. Father, hallow your name by keeping our hearts in check and keeping our lips from speaking your name in vain. Father, may it grieve our hearts to hear your name dishonored. And Father, we ask that you give us a heart that refuses to take honor for itself, but deflects all honor to you because you are worthy of it. Father, we ask that you'd give us a heart that delights in obedience. We ask that you'd give us a heart of praise. And we ask that you'd give us a heart that desires your honor above everything, even our own lives. Because, Father, we want to see your name hallowed. We want to see it hallowed in our, in our lives. So, Father, please do that miracle in our hearts this morning. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.